0: Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 40. Today we have a very special guest, one of my favorite jugglers of all time, Peter Davidson. That's right, from Air Jazz. Before we get to that though, let's thank our sponsors, starting with sponsor number one. Of course, the IJA, the International Jugglers Association. Find out about this great group of jugglers at juggle.org. And of course, find out about their yearly festival, which this year will take place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, July 10th through the 16th. There are a lot of great things planned, so be there or be somewhere else. Also, let's thank me by going to my personal coaching website, Braindrizzles.com. For all your performing needs, your career needs, check me out at Braindrizzles.com. Okay, enough pre-rambling, enough preambling. Let's go to the podcast with Peter Davidson. And folks, this is a little bit different this time. We've done Skype to phone. It sounds okay, but it's Skype, a phone, so it is different. Prepare yourselves and get ready to drop everything and hear Peter Davidson. Welcome to the Drop Everything podcast number 40. One of my favorite jugglers of all time.
1: Welcome, Mr. Peter Davidson. Welcome, Peter.
0: Thank you, Dan. You're in Boulder, Colorado. Is
1: that correct? That's correct. I'm in Boulder. It's snowing. It's about 17 degrees right now.
0: Now, one great thing about this podcast is I get to talk to a lot of jugglers And some of them have a very important place in my life as a juggler. And so I want to start by gushing a little bit and say that to me, the three most important jugglers in my life of relevance are Chris Cremo, Peter Davidson, and Anthony Gatto. So I think if you see by the the company I put you in, that I hold you in very high esteem. Who's that?
1: that guy in the middle?
0: Uh, well, <laughs> well, but I mean, like the first hey. thing I ever saw was Chris Cremo. Like the first professional on TV <laughs> was Chris Cremo.
1: Yeah, we, that's what we did. Cause, cause you and I are from the Southern California seventies. That's all the, that was where we got our information and ideas was all the, like the Merv Griffin show and stuff on TV, all those variety acts.
0: It was the Merv Griffin show. It came on TV. I saw it in the TV guide. It said Chris Cremo juggler. I remember it was like on a Thursday or a Friday, I circled it. From Caesar's Palace. It was a fantastic performance, but he was the first professional I ever saw. The first real professional. But you were the first guy I met who I thought, he's going to be a professional. Like, you're about my age and you were just starting out. But I go, this guy is going to be and wants to be a professional juggler. And to me, that was really, huh. really uh, important. But I met you when I was about 17. But before that, let's go to the backstory. What are the formative years of Peter Davidson like? where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid before you discovered juggling?
1: Yeah, uh, well I grew up in Santa Monica, California. And uh, my mom was really into visual art. And she did theater. She did uh, visual art, painting mostly, and illustration and theater in college. And so it was kind of an artistic household. My, My older brother also became an artist, a visual artist. And so that kind of led to we had this sort of fanaticism when I was pretty young, like uh, seven or eight years old, I guess, with uh, Alexander Calder, the American sculptor, who invented the mobile and uh, just created a lot of really whimsical uh, sculptures and illustrations. And and uh, a lot of people are familiar with his miniature circus with uh, that was made out of just little bits of scraps of. Uh, fabric and wire and corks and stuff. And and it was all working characters. So he'd perform the circus. So he, so he kind of was maybe a bridge between the visual art world with his circus at, and the uh, performing arts and circus world. So that sort of led me from a young uh, enthusiasm with visual art into performing art through the circus skills. And so Basically what happened, I, I think when I was in the fifth and sixth grade, I, I started going to the library and getting books out of the library and ended up with a book on juggling. And that's how I learned to juggle. And after that, it was really just meeting people around uh, L.A. who could keep me going.
0: Who was the first professional juggler you ever saw? Like, did you see someone on TV? How did you even know sort of what juggling was? Do you remember that first impression?
1: Uh, just from books. I really, I don't remember seeing, I mean, I, I must have seen jugglers on TV maybe as the family sat around the TV and stuff like that. I don't really remember seeing a juggler first and going, I want to do that. It was, it was more like I, it was just this concept, this sort of circus concept and mostly just pictures and books that actually got me interested in just the, the way it just seemed to be in my head.
0: Yeah, I go to the library too and you'd like look up circus books for those few references about juggling. And it was very incomplete information at that time. Uh, the first show I saw was named Bobby Sandler. Uh, yeah. Does, is that Ring and Bell?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. But when I was a little more into it, I saw him on TV. He, did, uh, he, was the, he was maybe the first TV guy to eat the apple, wasn't he? Yeah.
0: He was sponsored by the Apple organization or Apple Association. And uh, he got on TV shows. I remember because he would juggle, he would juggle three balls. And he had a big afro, which when I was younger, I had kind of that yeah. afro look as well. And he'd roll the balls off his head. And for his big finale, he would juggle and eat the apple. And it was very, uh, Yeah, I go, oh, juggling. That's where I first he was remember. He TV a lot. He was, because I say he was sponsored. And in those early days, there was a lot of like daytime TV talk show type of entertainment. And uh, you yeah. see some jugglers on Merv Griffin. I remember also another juggler named Jim yeah. Reinhardt. Do you remember Jim Reinhardt?
1: Yes. He, uh, yeah, he actually was one of my favorites later. He did a silent act with this sort of, he was sort of, he did basically like W. T. Fields type stuff. I think cigar boxes and balls in this sort of like, he was like a contemporary sort of tramp energy. Like he had a nice suit on, but he was sort of disheveled. Like maybe he had a bunch of drinks and it really is sort of low energy. And it was very humorous. I think he finished, he finished with tambourines, I think juggling three tambourines and playing them on his body.
0: I remember we had that really nice split with like three clubs. Like where you throw one sideways and two kind of forward, but you get further and further apart. Kind of like an eccentric sort of Bobby May kind of sort of exaggeration of of space and distance.
1: The spread, yeah. The spread. Yeah, getting into a little bit of trouble as they move further apart.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, he was one of my
1: favorites. The bridge from these books and stuff. I mean, I learned to juggle three balls. Met a girl at my school in in, uh, junior high who could show me like one other trick, which was bouncing the balls off, off the arm while you're doing the cascade. But then I signed up for a juggling class at Santa Monica junior college. I was, I must've been 12 or thir- I guess maybe 13 or 14 at the time. And, uh, it was with, uh, Boy Foy and Faye and Boy Foy, not a lot of people know who he was. He somehow has avoided having any videos really out there of him. Uh, but he did a whole act on unicycle first on a small unicycle and then an eight foot unicycle. And he was a really short guy. He was only like five feet tall. And he and his wife were teaching and he was probably in his sixties at that time, all retired and everything. But so he was really the one that, that exposed me to that professional. He was, he was probably the, the first, although he wasn't performing professionally at the time, he had a, he had a big uh, photo portfolio that he'd bring with Francis Brunn and all these people that he, that he knew pretty well and had worked with, uh, from that period of, of sort of the fifties.
0: And my version was a guy named Buffo the Clown. So I think, I think Boy Foy sounds, sounds a little cooler. I had Buffalo the Clown.
1: <laughs> it's just a rearrangement of those same letters, yeah. But I remember he showed it me the, the same the, guy. He showed me like the penguin. He had different... Uh...
0: Yeah, maybe. After he kind of <laughs> fell on hard times, he put on the costume and became Buffo. But oh, I remember Boy Foy. Boy Foy was very good. He's the first guy I saw who did like the wheel walk on the unicycle. He was a very yeah. good unicy- jungler on the unicycle. So really nice to have such an early experience with such a, a top professional, even though he was retired. Do you remember some of the lessons? Was it a yeah. long course or just a, a couple of times?
1: It would be like uh, several, I think it maybe even like a semester long. It was sort mm-hmm. of like an ongoing course for several sessions. And then, and I did that for a couple of years in a row. Wow. So I came back, I learned, uh, learned to unicycle, learned to walk on the globe and then, uh, you know, clubs and all kinds of stuff. Uh, who else was there? John Luker was in that cl- was in one okay. of those classes.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we um, performed with John Luker at the Los Angeles Renaissance Festival in the early 80s. And he went on to do yeah. sound and technician. And now he's a wildlife conservation ranger in, in Los Angeles. So he's still out there, John. Cool. We're, still, we're Facebook friends. So I don't think he listens, but a shout nice. out to John Luker.
1: Shout out to John Luker. Shout out yeah. to John Luker. And then Edward Jackman, Well, I I got a uh, friend of mine, I think this was now I was in the seventh grade to go down to the county art museum where there was supposedly some street performing happening. And my friend and I went down there. We just stood over to the side and juggled. It was actually raining that day. That that was was my first performance as a juggler, which was on the street on a rainy day at the art museum. Nobody nobody was there to watch. I think one person went running by, but (laughs) uh, we kind of got under an awning. (laughs) So the beginnings were less than
0: less than auspicious beginnings for for Peter Davis. They were not. Yeah,
1: uh... but the thing is, though, that that the other uh, that Edward Jackman came riding up on a bicycle, and he was like, "Well, even though it's raining, I just thought I'd come and see because that that was his regular spot to perform when it huh. was wasn't raining. So he had already established that with a couple of other performers on nice days. I guess we're going down there. But
0: how do you know you were down there? Did he just? Happened by or?
1: He just rode up on his bike and said, I'm also a juggler and I usually work. And I just came by to see if anybody was working today. Hmm. And uh, nobody was except for me and my friend Anthony. Because
0: Edward Jackman was one of those seminal inspirational figures that was really way ahead of everybody else when it came to kind of the mixture of comedy and juggling and and the college circuit. And he was a real uh, lightning rod in those days uh, of juggling.
1: yeah. Well, it, it was. Uh, I mean, he really he introduced me then to all the other jugglers in L. A. and got me to the to the L. A. Juggling meeting that took place in MacArthur Park once a month. He was he was really encouraging. I mean, I mean, I was a really shy kid. Like, I I didn't. I mean, juggling and stuff was sort of uh, my way to interact with people because I was ordinarily socially awkward and stuff, and still probably am. But I mean, back then, I mean, Edward really did a lot for me. He not only worked on his own stuff. But the other thing that he did a lot of was helping other people and hanging out with other people. He did a lot of getting me to try different things and juggling and just really trying to pull me out of my shell. I mean, he only partially succeeded, I think, but but I'd have to give him a lot of credit for helping to propel me into any sort of professional pursuit of juggling.
0: And do you think your personality kind of led you in the direction you went as a juggler? Like Edward was a very out, not outgoing, but a very loud brash yeah. comedy juggler type and, and your style is yeah, very and he's a very
1: outgoing person right yeah well well my classical as in silent <laughs> right right yeah came out, came out of that and also because really my, my first exposures were to things things like boyfoy and some of the tv jugglers who were primarily silent sort of classical juggling acts so i already sort of had that in my blood and that's it better with, with being a shy sort of nonverbal person
0: I always put you in kind of that Bobby May camp when when do you remember the first time you saw Bobby May yeah I always saw a lot of similarities between your two styles
1: you know a lot of stuff that I've done really started in my head rather than seeing anything and Bobby May was another thing that started in my head where I think Edward came back from a juggling an IJA festival that I hadn't been on and somebody had shown that the Bobby May movie that they used to show right at all the festivals and maybe still do and just described it to me. he described the head roll and uh a couple of other things, some of the boom you know, like the English on the balls, the five the five ball ending and and with the shower and the balls bouncing all over and ending up in the hat, like he just described some things that created the way imagination can sometimes be mm-hmm. more vivid than. You know, it's like reading a book instead of seeing the movie. Like you're sort of free to expand on things in your own head. So I just got really excited about Bobby May before I even saw him. And, and I learned to do the head roll before I ever saw him or anyone else do the head roll just from the description of it. So it was a couple of years before I finally saw the film. But then seeing the film, that's when by at that point I was already into dance as well. So uh, I moved to Colorado, got with Keziah, who was training in modern dance and got all of the rest of us around here. Like those of us that became air jazz into into dance so then it, it was easy to see the the dance element of what bobby may was doing in the movement and so um that just sort of yeah so as far as jugglers juggling style classical juggling style i i guess i would say that bobby even from the time of just hearing about him let alone seeing him sit right into to what i felt i wanted to do and how old are you when the
0: idea of like being a professional juggler came into your head
1: 18, when I was sort of deciding, you know, I was like ready to leave home. I was doing some part-time college classes in film production stuff. Like I was really into animation and film stuff. So I was sort of like trying to decide, well, do, do I want to pursue that and train in that, like go to college and be a filmmaker, or I'm already street performing out in Westwood Village and making some money doing that and doing some other gigs around LA, so I'm actually already a professional juggler. So then I got the phone call from Boulder, Colorado from Barrett Felker and and Kaziah Tenenbaum inviting me to come out here and make a juggling company with them, which we did. We called the Magnificent Material Movers. So it was 1980 when I moved here uh, and now I'm still here. It was just that invitation from somebody else to come and be part of something that made me say, okay, I'm just gonna keep doing this and drop the filmmaking idea.
0: Yes, I remember you guys competed in Fargo, North Dakota, in 1980. yep As the Magnificent Material Movers. Yeah. Because that was my very first convention. How did you become aware of the of the IGA, and what was your first convention that you went to?
1: Uh, Eugene, Oregon, 1978. Whoa. Okay. Uh, I went up with a couple of jugglers. We got in the car and we drove up there. I I was a teenager and that was my first convention. That that was where I met Barrett and Kazaya. That was really where our friendship started and that led to a couple of years later them inviting me to come out because we kind of shared the same classical juggling style.
0: And you were interested in more putting a group together than sort of pursuing a a solo career at that time?
1: I think I always had a solo career in the back of my head. I mean, uh, that particular group only lasted for a year and then Kazaya and I did some stuff and then we all kind of split up and and, uh, we were back to doing solo stuff for a while before Air Jazz came together because I think John Held and Kazaya and I found that None of our solo things were really working out particularly. So why don't we just, I mean, we just threw air jazz together to do street shows one summer. And then just to be able to get some gigs, you know, without being too lonely because our solo stuff wasn't, wasn't going anywhere. So it was just a way, that's it, to just not be too lonely and, and throw together some stuff. We kind of drew on some of the ideas from Magnificent Material Movers with the club juggling piece that we ended up doing. And then, then that that just sort of sort of stuck and took off, and then we got into into the dance world a little bit more, and it we it just made a clear direction.
0: Is that when he went out to tour with the, the Globe That's when I saw him for the Globe Trotters,
1: because he was
0: really strong in that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he did that for a number of years. Yeah, that was that exact moment. So.
0: So as soon as John entered the picture, is that when the name changed to Air Jazz?
1: Yeah. Well, he, let's see. We actually one summer doing street shows. There were four of us. Barrett came back for a break from Globetrotters and we had a summertime street show called the Boulder Juggling Company, I think. And, uh, and then Barrett left again. After that, we were, you know, at loose ends and then, and then we came back as Air Jazz. But it took us a while to find the name.
0: Where, where did the name come from? I know it's a... It's
1: the name of a song, right, or a jazz song? Uh, No, I mean, there may be a song. I never heard of a song named Air Jazz. We were just, uh, I mean, early, maybe we were still calling ourselves the Boulder Juggling Company. I don't remember exactly what we were at first, but we we did an audition for a dance festival, the Colorado Dance Festival, that used to bring companies from all over the place, and they had sort of a local showcase uh, in a theater, and so we auditioned our club juggling piece which was very similar to the one that we ended up doing on the tonight show and and everywhere and got into this dance festival. And so we're just filling out the form of information for our piece to go in the program. And we're like, well, we have to come up with a name for the piece. So the name air jazz actually was the name of that, of just the club juggling piece that we first created. And it was set to uh, some big band, a big Mm -hmm. band classic, like a Goodman classic called slip disc. So that suggested jazz and then we were essentially throwing things in the air so that it was just one of those things where you're sitting around a table with pieces of paper and like scribbling out different words and combining them different ways and it just ended up being air jazz as the name of that piece so then we just ended up calling ourselves air jazz as the name of the company after that
0: well i still think if i had to sort of run down the list of the best juggling names that it weren't the person's name to begin with that was sort of created to sort of convey a juggling act I would put Air Jazz in the top three ever devised. Personally, it's a wonderful name, and it's so descriptive of the way you guys perform.
1: Yeah, uh, it was great, and especially you know all the first repertoire that we created, where they were all set to jazz music of one type or another, but but all within that musically the jazz category, pretty much. After that, we started branching out into other kinds of things and became a little more avant-garde or whatever. But you know, it's kind of like it's it's like the Beatles or something. Sometimes I think about their name it's it's kind of in a way it's sort of a lame name like for a band the beatles sure and they started out kind of cutesy and and poppy uh and then they started doing really experimental you know and pretty sophisticated things after that but but with this sort of uh their original name like a a lot of groups kind of do that i think that's really cool where the name sort of suggests the origin And then you see how people have to keep developing. I think Air Jazz maybe was that way too. Like it's sort of a simplistic name for maybe what we ended up doing, but it worked in that sort of same way that the Beatles worked.
0: Well, in some names, they don't make any sense and they're terrible names until the person becomes famous. Like the Who. It's like, well, that's a terrible name. Yeah. But then once they, or the Rolling Stones, I mean, there's so many names that may mean nothing, but once they get associated with fame or success, but Air Jazz from the very beginning, I got to admit, that is one darn cool name. So I was always like, that's a good name. And I remember seeing you guys very early on at at a a college. And some of my favorite routines were the poles. You did a piece with these long aluminum poles that I think you called pole people. Pole folks. Pole folks. You got some pretty experimental pieces that didn't really rely on sort of normal juggling props, like the giant postcards. Was that sort of a direction that, away even from regular props, and become more visually oriented?
1: Yeah, I I think... It's just a matter of where inspiration comes from that guides what you do. So if your inspiration comes from other jugglers then it's to be a juggler and to use clubs and balls and rings Right. as it to simplify it. If your inspiration comes from theater or dance, then, and which is where our inspiration started coming from after a while, rather than from the juggling or circus world, then, then those props don't matter. And the tricks don't matter. It doesn't become about tricks anymore, how difficult. You know, in juggling, it really, it, it's sort of like a lot of value given to something that's difficult, right? Right. But, um, you know, in, in choreography and dance and uh, theater, visual theater, like, that doesn't matter as much as the imagery uh, or the visual design or the con- or the theatrical content. Yeah,
0: most juggling acts are pretty much based on, on the tricks. Like, I'm to do a presentation of tricks. You are really, the, the combination of juggling with movement and character, I don't know, has really even been matched From some of like, especially the club routine, that three-person club routine, to me is a flawless uh, combination of of juggling, music, character. I mean, it's a wonderful, ahead of its time piece. Did you guys sort of see yourselves and see how much how different you were than for other people at that time?
1: I don't think so much. I think we were just so involved in doing it. You know, and that sort of came out of this period of time where we had sort of we had just been street performers and so had this kind of character interactive sort of quality to, to what we did, even though we weren't talking, and we were doing it on stage uh, and we were all really into movement and you know and then it had i mean what what for us were some pretty hard tricks. I mean it's not like some of our later stuff that that really doesn't have that kind of juggling technique, so it had actual juggling tricks in it. And those were just the materials and the inspirations that we had to work with at that time. I don't think we really looked around and tried to, we certainly didn't try to craft things based on being different from other people. We just sort of bit out what came out naturally. What sort of dance training were you involved with? Started with, with uh, actually the very first dance I did was tap dance, which is maybe only marginally dance. It's maybe more like creating percussion with your feet, but does get you moving. Uh, modern dance really was the core of our training, of our air jazz training. And then I started doing a lot of ballet and I mean, I, I tried everything, jazz and ba- uh, all the European stuff anyway, jazz and ballet and modern and became pretty fanatic about ballet after a while. I and mean, it really started too late to become a hardcore ballet dancer. But it was, I thought, a good augmentation to juggling if I was going to be moving a lot as part of my work. So yeah, I went modern dance to ballet and then just sort of the mix of those two, like a classic American or European concert dance training.
0: And now with Air Jazz, you had a 10 year career. You did lots of dance festivals. How was the juggling act received from the other dancers? Were you kind of looked at as a, a novelty, a plus, or did they kind of resent and didn't think it belonged?
1: I think for the most for the most part, it was pretty accepted. We did a few dance festivals, one in Colorado, of course, and the Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival. I mean, by the time we were doing things like Jacob's Pillow, a lot of what we did was pretty minimal juggling and maximum dance content, you would say. And so I think it was more acceptable because there really was a technical dance element. And so even even dancers would have to say like, well, they are also juggling, but but there is dance. It's not like we just brought in Some jugglers and they're not, they're not, you know, it's not like we brought in Michael Davis, you know, (laughs) brilliant comedy, but he's actually not moving. He's standing in one place. So I don't think we ever had that problem because the dance always was at least an element of what we were doing. And we always pitched it as and tried to get people to look at it as the objects are also dancing. And so people needed to try to look at it as choreography that involved these objects as additional dancers as opposed to juggling being separate from dance.
0: That's a nice idea that the props are additional dancers and they don't have to get paid anymore, which is nice. So you're already splitting the money three ways, (laughs) which could be tough. You have
1: a big company of dancers and the budget stays small. It's good.
0: And let's talk about some of your uh, <laughs> your uh, larger TV appearances. The ones I remember were, first of all, of course, The Tonight Show. How did that one come about, and can you sort of give us some some background on that? It's a very famous appearance.
1: That was the first one. Well, there, there used to be, and maybe still are, it's sort of pipelines to a show like that. And the pipeline for Variety Acts, or one of the pipelines, was this show in L.A., an annual show called It's Magic, which was a magic uh, review in which different acts were invited to appear in a variety show that took place in downtown L.A. So through a, performing at a magic convention, we got invited to be part of this It's Magic show. So we were sort of the change of pace act because we did juggling and movement as opposed to magic. And then there was a tradition that the producer of one of the producers of The Tonight Show would come and pick out one act from It's Magic every year to go on The Tonight Show. And so he, we were the act that he picked. And so that's how we got on The Tonight Show.
0: And what was your experience like there? You had a very strong performance. How'd you feel? So that was like one of your, was it your very first TV appearance? Uh,
1: Yeah, that was the first, I'm trying to think if we did any, I mean, maybe some like cable or, you know, like community TV channel. I do not even think we did that. I think it really was our our first uh, TV appearance. So it was kind of freaky. And it was on a day. I mean, we were performing every day. I think it was like a two week run or something at this, it's magic show. It was like a show after show almost every day of the week. And so it was on a show day. So we do, we were going to go and do the tonight show early or late in the afternoon and then, you know, run over to the theater downtown and do the live show. So we're kind of squeezing it in, but you know, it's kind of freaky. Well, and, and you've, you did the show several times. I mean, I think when you guys, when you and Barry first did it, probably they, it was a similar set, like the stage set with, was probably similar but they had these sort of mylar these really thin you know the, the shiny decor on either side of what for us was a fairly small stage to try to do our our club routine in because we usually moved back and forth a lot more
0: right it was a pretty tight space and the edges
1: of the stage were yeah a tight space with this really shiny uh just mylar stretched on the sides where if you crashed into it or like threw a club <laughs> at it like it just would have like broke through it so it was we're sort of like oh god we're in this like really delicate, slightly too small space. And it's, it's like almost a, basically a live show. So I don't know, but, but we just somehow got, I don't, I don't know how we got through it. We, we kind of did, we had one drop, but it, I think we were happy with it. And then we were like completely like just sort of relaxing from the stress, I guess. We, I think, as I recall, we had a terrible show that night on stage in the <laughs> actual show, but.
0: Right, right, right. Oh, we well, <laughs> did it when it counted. I mean, yeah, that Mylar, cause I remember I went back, I think it was our second appearance. And I did this gag where I pretend to like wipe my mouth on like a stage curtain, but it had like this very thin sh- shiny it would almost cut your hands kind of mylar and it had no support. So if you try to put your <laughs> hand it, you just go right through it. It's a, yeah. it's a wonderful it's a wonderful uh, performance though and I recommend people watch it.
1: It looks great on TV when you're watching you, you go touch it and you're like it's like a piece of tissue paper.
0: Let's get back to another uh, TV appearance I remember and this one was quite uh, extended because you had more than one spot. It seemed like it was almost as special on Air Jazz. Uh, The Paul Daniels Show, which is one we never, never, me and the Raspini Brothers never got to do. I remember you did your solo routine, and Kaziah and John did their cigar box routine. How did that one come about, and what was that like?
1: We did another uh, magic convention called Abbott's Magic Get-Together, which takes place in Colon, Michigan. right is this tiny town but it's it's quote the magic capital of the world unquote have you you ever been there
0: i've heard of it but i don't think i've ever no i've never done that particular event no
1: well anyway there's uh at also performing at that convention was a british magician named Ali bongo Mm. who was uh, a magician but also a very eccentric uh, physical comedian he did comedic act he was in cahoots with paul daniels back in england so paul daniels was a also uh, a magician who ran this TV show. So through that uh, magic convention, we seem to get a lot of pretty good gigs from magic conventions, but that was once. We have a lot of material on that show because we went back a couple of times. So we went the first time and only did our club routine. And that ended up, uh, that was on an Easter special. And that special ended up getting broadcast all around Europe. And it it won a big uh, like first place TV award in, in this Montreux TV festival in switzerland and stuff and so so they asked us back so we flew back and brought a bunch of stuff and we and these were not live shows they were with an audience but they were taped and then sort of edited together later so they just taped a bunch of material and different nice. pieces that we did so i did my ball piece uh, the box piece we had a piece with big beach balls and uh unicycle a ballet on unicycles we do we brought all of that stuff and did them as separate segments and i think they just sort of like peppered them throughout their show Different times.
0: Well, let's go back a little bit because we, we missed one sort of uh, seminal appearance you made. This was even before Air Jazz. There was a very famous movie that came out that you thought maybe I would glance over this part of your history, but you were featured in a movie. <laughs> You're featured in a movie called Xanadu. and there were quite a few jugglers, and it was a musical with. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, was it Gene Kelly and Olivia Newton-John? Were they yes. the uh, the stars? Yes,
1: they were the stars. Yes.
0: Is that your one and only sort of movie stuff. experience, or what was that? What was that? Well, I didn't even see that I don't think. But what? What did you do in the movie Xanadu?
1: It's one of a couple. Yeah. Yeah. There are one or two good things about the movie, but overall, it's it's, <laughs> and it's also a lot of it takes place uh, with the with roller with uh, like seventies style roller skating and disco music and stuff. Yeah, Electric Light Orchestra provided the music, and so it's a, it's a really sort of. Uh, so bad, it's good type of movie.
0: And this is what I remember, that someone told me that there was a scene where like something opened up like a door and you came out juggling five clubs, which at the time for me seemed like impossible. Like, well, no one can just come out and juggle five clubs for any length of time. Is that what happened or is that someone's imagination? That's
1: an exaggeration. Okay, all right, what happened? Uh, What actually happened, and it's it's a scene that didn't end up in the final cut of the movie. Okay. But there's a dance number going... Uh, And a lot of the way they did it was uh, it was there was nothing digital back then, so everything was in a physical set on the soundstage. And so they had a lot of sort of like musical numbers where the cameras are trucking along and on a dolly and following action, like from one part of the set to another. So Olivia Newton-John is on a guy's shoulder, I think, in there, and he's like carrying her across the soundstage while She's singing and she passes these little stages where these curtains open on each one. And there's like a little tableau inside of that. And, and the, right. one of the tableaux, where the curtain opens and I'm there juggling four clubs.
0: Okay. All
1: right. So, so close.
0: Well, that's pretty good though. But
1: it was like the size of a closet. It, it was really <laughs> harrowing because when you get on, on a Hollywood movie soundstage and, and you're like, okay, this is costing $50,000 per minute. Just to be doing this project and so I don't want to like screw up and have to like waste a minute to do another take so things like juggling are kind of scary but especially th- this one so this is like an, it, like standing in a closet with just enough room to juggle four <laughs> clubs with a curtain closed like right in front of you uh so like you can't move and you don't know exactly when the curtain's going to open because it's sort of in the middle of this number Remember
0: that movie Annie with, uh, I think, Michael Motion was the, the torch juggler? You ever see that one? Uh, Labyrinth? No, it was, it was Annie. It was like the musical version of Annie. Oh, okay. I have seen that. But they had a big production oh, right, number. Oh, right. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Michael Motion. And, you know, as the juggler, you're only watching Michael Motion. Like, for me, I'm only watching him. And he did have a drop, like, towards the end. And you know, he's like, hey, can we, can we do that over? They're like, uh, I don't think so.
1: We can't afford that, man. No, yeah.
0: no, sorry, buddy. Sorry. No, no, no one will notice. Yeah. Is that one kooky <laughs> juggler. <laughs> He'll bring it up 35 years later.
1: That, that's what it is, man. It's a lot of pressure, you know, because cause, cause the curtain flashes open, and all of a sudden there's like five times as much light, you know, and you have sure. to not screw up, and these people are passing in front of you. Uh, but that didn't end up in the, in the movie. I was...
0: There were some classic juggling screw-ups that even in the days of VH Tapes, we would watch over and over and over again. Like if someone went on a a TV appearance, let's say they tried to do like a pirouette or a double (laughs) pirouette with devil sticks and ended up falling on their butt. You know, I won't say which (laughs) other that was, but we must have watched that one dozens of times.
1: That was Edward Jackman.
0: Yes, that was Edward Jackman. That is right.
1: And he actually put that, it was a great scene too, and he actually put that on his promo reel.
0: Okay, here's a trivia question. Do you remember what he said as his comeback after he fell to the ground?
1: Uh, no. I remember having a, having a very startled expression for one second.
0: He said, come watch the juggler die, which I thought was a pretty good you know, office his. <laughs> he was also, I think, the first person to say a sudden gust of gravity as far as a, uh, as far as a drop line.
1: He sort of got that from me because uh, we were all doing street shows, and, I, and I went at, my drop line was, was simply to say a sudden gust of wind. Ah. And so I was saying that for, for like a year before with, with him watching me, you know, going like, this kid is so pathetic, but I'm going to try to help him as best I can. <laughs> right, right, and right. Then, uh, yeah, but I think, I think that's where he got the idea because he first did it in street shows. So I don't think he would have come up with it had it not been, had it not been for my pure ah. original version.
0: So you get, a, you get a comedy assist on the very famous line, whoops, must have been a sudden gust of gravity. But here's the question, who is responsible for the terrible line behind my back? Behind my other back. Is that also Edward Jackman? I
1: just saw a person use that like a month ago.
0: Then they say, behind both backs, right? Behind my back, behind my other back. But but Edward used to say, behind my wife's back, right? Yeah. That guy knows what I'm talking about. See, I, I remember way too much of Edward Jackman.
1: He always took those basic things and made them better somehow.
0: I don't know. Behind the back. Yeah, behind my other back, behind both backs. Behind my wife's yeah. back, you know, stuff like that. So
1: people still use that, not the wife's back version, but the other version that people still use.
0: Yeah, they still use behind my back, behind my other back, or behind both backs. It's not, when, it, when it was done uh, the first time in prehistoric time. That was
1: maybe now it's a classic. It's a classic, anyway. exactly. <laughs> anyway, lines are not really my department. No,
0: well, yeah, it's true, and as as, as dancing is not really uh, my department. Except my wife will tell you I cut a mean rug. <laughs> so at a certain point. You had 10 years with Air Jazz, you did quite a few, you did some tours, you went to New Zealand, Hong Kong, uh, yeah. some other international types of festivals. What sort of, uh, it was a certain time after 10 years, it was like, okay, it had just sort of run its course and it was, it was time to do some solo work. What brought about the end of uh, Air Jazz? Was it John's temper tantrums and demands for limousines and things like that? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he always struck me as very high maintenance that John held.
1: When we bought that limousine, that we didn't have money for our medical bills anymore. And that
0: I heard he wanted to bring his pet monkey on tour, and that's what broke everybody apart.
1: Because I and I are, are allergic to monkeys, so...
0: Was that what it was, or was it just sort of a fizzled out?
1: Instead of getting just sort of dried up, like we were touring a lot and we were doing, and I recall like uh, one of our last gigs was doing a bunch of shows at two different children's theater festivals up in Canada in uh, Calgary and Edmonton and it was like one after the other and like couple shows every day. I, I think we just sort of like reached a point again maybe like the Beatles like where you just sort of are like we ran out and we just ran out of fuel like of what the three of us the way the three of us react like that reaction has just come to an end. I I was a lot more interested in in pursuing the dance part and I think John was really interested in pursuing a sort of vocal speaking more monologue type of performing that didn't really it. I mean, neither of them really fit with the other people, what the other people in the group wanted to do. So, so I think it just sort of naturally came to an end. Although uh, after that, John and I put together a two-person show and did that a few times. We would do little projects, the three of us, and then had some really nice reunion shows in 98 and 99. The 99 one we also did at the Juggling Festival in Niagara Falls. I remember that one, sure. So we came back and did some more stuff after a little period of freshening up and created some new pieces and, and sort of fixed up some old pieces for those. And that, that, those are really good times.
0: What about the possibility of a reunion at Cedar Rapids, Iowa in 2017? How far afield is that possibility?
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: it's been a few it, years. <laughs>
1: as, as Jim <laughs> But Jim Carrey in that movie, he's like a million to one. So there is a chance.
0: <laughs> there is a chance. Well, we you know, have you
1: coming and you'll there be is also a chance. there.
0: You'll be leading some movement and juggling workshops and directing
1: the Cascade of Stars. Yeah, so. I'm very excited about that. I haven't been to a festival for a number of years. So that's going to be great. But you
0: competed back in the day. You, you've you won a championship. You won in 1982. You were the
1: IJA champion.
0: Is that Was that Santa Barbara? Was that Santa Barbara Festival?
1: That was Santa Barbara, yeah. Yeah, I beat Anthony Gatto. I think I, after that, nobody could beat Anthony Gatto at a juggling competition. <laughs> he was—he was very very small kid then.
0: Yeah, he was maybe eight or nine. You, well, you also set a record, I think, for the five clubs endurance. For was that over a minute or something at that time, or what was the record back then in '82?
1: Yeah, yeah, I got three award three awards in '82. The individual championship. Also, Air Jazz won the group championship. Right, and then uh, the Five Club endurance, which was for me, was six minutes and twenty seconds. Wow! Nah, it was uh, six minutes. Cause back in Fargo, I did three minutes and something. Right. So I doubled that time, and in Fargo, I think I had doubled Steve Mills' time from Eugene or somewhere, which was at that time was like a minute and a half.
0: Right. And then somebody, I think it was maybe Albert Lucas or Ignatov, came out with like a just a forty-minute, or maybe that was Gato, like a forty-five-minute one years later
1: yeah Gatto. i think some other lucas but certainly Gatto. i think brought it that's when they just stopped doing it because it was like (laughs) these guys have taken this like so it's just so ridiculous like nobody can can even stand to to time it anymore so it's (laughs) like that's long enough so
0: (laughs) i think at a certain point did he even sat down in a chair or something to do the for the 45 minutes i remember that being at a juggling festival
1: maybe Gatto. he's he's ridiculous he's amazing
0: well, like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, it was to me Gatto was because for me he represented like what juggling could be or how far it could go technically. Yeah, because we saw him since he was like a little kid. As far as
1: I can tell, he's he's the best. He's the best classical technical juggler.
0: Yeah, because he did it in a situation where, as a performer, I think nowadays it's it's you can do a yeah. lot of amazing stuff on video and stuff that's edited together, but as far as the consistency.
1: Right. And that's totally the difference. That's an entirely different that Anthony can pull off that level of technique night after night on stage with stage lights and everything. That has nothing to do with doing it, you know, on YouTube.
0: If he was in that closet stage, like you were, he could have come out doing seven balls. He would have been like, all right, lights. Yeah. It wouldn't matter at all. Well, so. he
1: could have sat, sat in a stool and had more <laughs> space above him to do more objects when the curtain opened. That would have been nice.
0: Do you think that people who start that early, like an Anthony Gatto, it's just something that you can't really capture if you start later, Like that level of consistency with such extremely high difficulty? Is that just an early start thing, you think, or can that be? Like you had Picasso or somebody start like in their like 20s, but they never achieved that level of, of, of amazing consistency.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it does matter. I don't know that you have to start as early as Anthony did, but I, I think it's the same in a lot of things. It's the same in, in ballet. Like if you start too late, um, right. there are certain things that you just won't be able to do because it, these certain things have to like your body and your nervous system and your muscles have, have to take the time to be molded. And I think it has to happen at an impressionable, moldable time of your life when you're young enough. Otherwise, if you're not molded that way and you don't, you don't have those things seep in you can't go forward past a certain point.
0: But you rose to a pretty high level in, in ballet because you became co-artistic director of the Boulder Ballet. So you, you did pretty excel. Yeah. You went out of juggling. Did you then focus primarily on dance when you got out of air jazz? Or did you also have a solo career? And
1: Yeah, I got more into the, into the dance world. And I did, I did some uh, performing professionally as a dancer, more in contemporary ballet and modern dance because, like I said, I started a little too late to have a real ballet body, like the way Anthony developed from a young age juggling ability. So there's certain things I couldn't do. As far as being a director and a choreographer, that was more on the artistic uh, side, which already having been a juggler and basically been designing movement of different objects, I had a head start on that. So so I naturally gravitated more to the directing and choreographing part rather than being a ballerino myself.
0: What were some of your highlights as a choreographer and uh, artistic director of ballet?
1: Well, there's a little period like between 2004 and 2009 when I was, or maybe 2010, just a few years there where we had assembled a pretty good company of professional dancers who were on a consistent rehearsal schedule, and I'd sort of developed enough ideas of things to do with objects that were inspired by the juggling and physical theater world that the ballet dancers could do because dancers don't have a lot of time to learn like real juggling techniques. Sure. So, right. so I had some fun creating some pieces. I'd, I'd say maybe my, my favorite accomplishment is a, is a ballet called Bella Luna that uh, recently a company in St. Paul actually just acquired and performed out there. But it's, it's a ballet, it's got about 15 people in it and it's inspired by the Commedia dell'arte characters. So it's sort of a contemporary comedia dell'arte story so it and it has a it's, it has a lot of objects there's a pot de that happens on the while riding a bicycle with two people on the bicycle taking turns and a lot of kind of throwing up objects and things so it's not really juggling but it, there's objects throughout it a table and some chairs and uh, different props get thrown around a lot um so, so that really kind of that's one of my favorite things because it also combined a real theatrical and storytelling element, and I realized that that went back to my earlier teenage desires to be a filmmaker because I really like story like story the storytelling aspect so I was able to kind of combine sort of a type of cinematic sort of movie making approach with designing contemporary ballet movement for a group of dancers and then also incorporating objects in the sort of the way you would in a circus or a juggling show potentially. So that, that's probably my crowning achievement.
0: Do you use those same techniques to approach your solo work? Because your solo work seems to be sort of very yeah. story-driven as well.
1: More, uh, more and more, yeah. More and more heading in that direction. You know, you know, and I think what it is, it's like if I compare like what you do as a, as a verbal comedy juggler, like or that genre comedy juggling, right? is sort of two things. It's like juggling and comedy because you, you could just be a comedian without juggling or you could be a juggler without comedy. But the comedy part is where you communicate with the audience and the audience can relate to you. And so, so for me, that's what, you know, the, in ballet and things, I mean, that's one thing that the ballet world opened up to me was that telling of stories non-verbally.
0: That's interesting, because like I said, that's something that's never really been part of my, my toolbox, the, to be able to tell stories non-verbally or to choreograph things to express feelings or emotions. And I imagine that's something that you've been dealing with for most of your career.
1: Well, I've just become very interested in uh, how to engage an audience and have it create something relatable for an audience, which clowns and all kinds of theater artists and comedians and other, you know, actors can do easily because that's their medium. Uh, And I think that's why juggling, career juggling is way down there in the popularity levels because it's just, it's not relatable for most people.
0: And what uh, inspiration do you take from other jugglers? I know you've been able to go to some international juggling festivals. I've always been curious about this Five Three One festival in Finland. What, what was that one like? And, and what, what was your experience with, over there?
1: It's great. And uh, Maxine and Villa Villa Walla, Maxine Comoro. Yeah, the, the Peapot jugglers. I, I don't know if they're still doing it. They're, maybe they're still doing the festival. I'm not quite sure. But they're very active. Uh, they, they both... Direct, you know, other performers too in in large scale circus and and uh, what they call object theater productions. But, but it's just being over there. Uh, I've been there a couple times, and uh, you know, and then a lot of the Scandinavian jugglers that come down from Sweden and from from all around that area of Europe. And there is kind of a certain style that reminds me a lot of postmodern dance. It's like a postmodern dance. Aesthetic has crept into juggling and circus in the last couple of decades. So, and I think that those those areas of Finland and and what those guys do in the Maxine and Villa, and many others, and and all the people you know, Jay Gilligan and the Water on Mars people. That sort of maybe you could call it a style, but I think it, it's just very. It's not at all storytelling. It, it's very uh, every now and then there's maybe an image of something, but it's just really going far with exploring what objects do and what objects want to do and what what a juggler can do you know what what are the different possibilities how many things can you throw at once out of your hand or how many different shapes objects can you catch at one time in the same hand and all kinds of crazy stuff i don't relate to it in terms of wanting to do that sure. i i really like to watch it and experience it as a spectator and really glad to have certain things like that like that i'm kind of that way with ballet too because i'm not trying to be a ballet dancer i i, I like i love to go to the ballet and watch other people do something that is beautiful, but, you know, I don't want to do it. So I'm kind of that way with the, uh, the 531 festival type of juggling, in which performers are generally, you know, pretty, it's not about expressing emotions or anything other than what those objects aren't, are wanting to do.
0: That's an interesting philosophy on that. Yeah, no, exactly. Because it's very, I don't want to say stark, but like you say, as far as the character or personality of the performer that's not really the thing you notice. You definitely notice the intricate choreography of the props and the creativity of the movements, especially from us coming from more of a straightforward juggling style. Like we grew up kind of with Ignatov and, and Gatto and Albert Lucas, who were pretty much straightforward juggling right. types. So when the jugglers came forward with sort of this more movement-oriented club styles, it, it just striked me as, as very, like, I don't want to say non-commercial or un, something that couldn't really reach the masses as much as a comedy juggler or the pure artistic creations of a Chris Cremo. But I always want to support it because yeah. I really think that is sort of the the amazing creativity of these jugglers is incredible. When you think of the number of tricks, a Wes Peden or a Tony Pezzo or any of these guys have created, it's in the thousands. And so I have Jake coming also to the festival, Jake Gilligan, and you'll be teaching there because uh, you're also a very well-known teacher, movement combined with juggling, and Jay will be teaching technique combined with sort of this new creative growth and sort of this modern juggling style. Now, as a teacher, so you've taught at Celebration Barn, but you're currently involved in a program called the Boys Dance Program. We're getting towards the end, so why don't you bring us up to sort of the current uh, activities you're involved in. What's this Boys Dance Program, and how does it fit into your other activities that you're currently doing?
1: Well, Boys Dance is just what I call... This class, which I now offer in, through several different dance studios, I started it at the Boulder Ballet School. Because in the United States, the, it's, there's sort of a stigma against boys dancing because it's pictured as sort of like an effeminate thing or a fairy thing or, right. you know, a gay thing or...
0: Not, not manly, not a manly activity.
1: It's just not manly. And so there's this kind of stigma, but it's really not that way.
0: I mean, who's more manly than the Barishnikov? I mean, that guy yeah, is a... Yeah, or
1: Gene, Gene Kelly. <laughs> Gene Kelly. I mean, that was one of Gene Kelly's... I'm just yeah. basically furthering Gene Kelly's mission because that was one of those things, right. too, was to make it clear that dancing is a man's game, too. So the class just started as a way to get uh, kids in. My son, who was eight years old at the time, uh, and uh, like seven other little boys that age from around this area just who are maybe like brothers of girls who were taking ballet class or whatever uh, signed up and it just sort of grew from there so I tended to draw them in with the uh, advertising it as a class that mixes up different things such as juggling and mime and physical theater and dance and that the dance you know a lot of the dance would be this kind of macho stuff like uh throwing yourself to the floor and, you know, like jumping and falling down. And so it's definitely a multidisciplinary class. So they all learn how to juggle. They all learn how to balance stuff. Uh, A lot of them learn to then go on into other things like unicycle and walking globe and sort of basic circus skill training mixed in with basic European dance training from mostly from modern dance and ballet. And then we do a lot of uh, mime stuff as well, some of the mime illusions, like uh, the French mime illusions, and and a lot of uh, physical improv games. I've got a number of boys at this point who've gone on to professional careers dancing or in theater programs. They're these sort of really well-rounded performers who can dance and have a bunch of circus skills and are funny. And kind of know how know how to play how to know how to play with things and be creative.
0: I mean, they're learning from one of the best all-around performers I know. First of all, I think you're fortunate that you have the perfect juggling physique. I've always felt, you know, long and thin, oh. kind of like a like a Andy Head. I thought you and Andy Head had two of the best sort of yeah. juggling personalities on stage. The look, was just fits so well with your style of juggling, and I'm really looking forward. I've never seen your actual
1: yeah with that particular style.
0: Yes, that sort of uh, elegance classical i always when i when i coach i always use your posture as an example of a gentleman who i think who has perfect posture and who certain movements like, uh, you, like your like you're you or some of the tricks you do they're the perfect expression of that trick so i definitely use you as an example of, of excellence when i teach and so that's why i'm so happy to have you uh teaching uh you know this year at the iga and that kind of brings us to the end of our, our oh, yeah. podcast and i i thank you so much for your, the time peter uh coming on and you know uh, tell us your history and all great, the Dan. Your thoughts about juggling i look so much i look so forward to working with you and having some time to hang out with you this summer in cedar rapids so thank you yeah, so much
1: can't, can't wait Cool. Man. all right thank you dan hey thank you peter
0: i hope you enjoyed drop everything podcast number 40 with me dan holzman and of course my special guest mr peter davidson before you go let's thank our sponsors one more time the ija international jugglers association Come see Peter Davidson, Jay Gilligan, and so many more at this year's annual festival, July 10th through the 16th in Cedar Rapids. Also, check out my personal coaching website, BraingJizzles.com, for all your coaching and career needs. Now go out there, drop everything except when you're juggling.